12 here this morning. Acts chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 12. Let's pray and we'll get going. Heavenly Father, good to be here this morning. Glad for the people you brought out just to learn of you, just to grow in you. I pray that we'd go deeper with ears to hear and eyes to see what you want us to do and not just talk about it, but to truly go out and live it and always say and do in your name. Amen. Continuing our study here through the book of Acts, if you weren't with us for the first few weeks, I highly encourage you to go back, grab a CD, or listen to it. We laid the groundwork of the vision here for why we're going through the book of Acts and the different things that we're praying about as a church. Through the first few chapters of the book of Acts, you really see them just laying the groundwork and foundation of how the church is supposed to be. What does that look like? The idea of being in God's Word, the idea of what the word one accord means, fellowship, communion. Letting the Spirit lead. These are Spirit-led individuals that are letting the Lord lead in every aspect of their life. What happened now is this. As we start getting into chapters 3 and 4, you start running into a little bit of a persecution. And then finally here in chapter 5, we're running into a lot of persecution. So the book starts to change a little bit. We've laid the foundation and the groundwork of what it's supposed to be. And now we're going to see how does the church actually go out and live this practically in this fallen world. So this is now what's happening in the book of Acts. The practical examples of how to live, hopefully, this spirit-filled life. With that being said, we're in verse chapter, chapter 5, excuse me, verse 12. And let's see what happens. And it says, Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on the beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing the sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. You see this amazing movement going on. They're getting together in Solomon's porch there in verse 12. If you would look at a picture of the temple, for lack of a better word, Solomon's porch is a little shelter house, is what we would call it, off the temple. And this is where people would meet. Please note also in verse 12 the repetition of this word, one accord. I cannot stress this word to you enough. This is an ongoing theme in the book of Acts. These were not just individuals that happened to meet together on Sunday morning for a little bit. There was a oneness in how they lived and how they acted. The word one accord in the original language carries a very distinct meaning. It's a multitude of people almost moving in a frenzy, but all at the same time, so it's organized. One commentator described it as a symphony. Hundreds of instruments, all playing something possibly a little different, but when you combine it together, it's a beautiful thing. That's the body of Christ. He's never called you to be a solo Christian. He's never called you to be an island Christian. He's called you to work together as one, one accord. There is a power in us working together, together, to see eternity impacted and for God's glory. enemy would love to bring division in. The enemy would love to bring issues in. We know that. We pray against that, and we focus on being one accord in Christ. So you see that repeated. Now, verse 13, it's affecting people. They're seeing this. I mean, back in chapter 3 is a 40-year-old man that is miraculously healed. All these things are going on. Back in the beginning of Acts chapter 5, there's some church discipline going on. People are hearing this, but they're a little concerned about joining. But they're fascinated by this. What are they fascinated about? Look at verse 12. Signs and wonders. 
Signs and wonders. Verse 15, bringing the sick out. Verse 16, sick people and those are tormented by unclean spirits and they were all healed. These amazing movement of God was going on with these miracles, signs and wonders. Now, how do you explain what a miracle, sign and wonder is? Here's my simple definition. It means no explanation but God. Because if you can explain it, then it's not that miraculous. We use the word miraculous a lot. That was a miracle. No, not really. We see what happened, we get it, we understand it. Miracle signs and wonders are where there's no explanation about the Lord. And you stop and you say, it has to be of God because there is no other way. And this is the way the Lord wants to move and work. He said this back at the beginning, excuse me, at the end of Mark chapter 16. He said this, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, they by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. That's what Jesus said would happen in my name. And as you go through the book of Acts, guess what? You're going to see those things happening. Paul built on this as well. He said this about signs and wonders. And 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12, Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Paul's talking about the signs of an apostle, that these signs and wonders would go out and people would see them and realize there's something unique, something special about this. And one more reference, the writer of Hebrews says the same thing. In Hebrews 2, verse 4, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Think about that. Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. Acts, you see it happening. Paul talks about as an apostle, there's the signs and wonders. And the writer of Hebrews confirms it. This is an ongoing theme where the Lord wants to move and work. Why does the Lord want to move and work in this way? Well, think about this. First off, they didn't know who Jesus was. So imagine you lived in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, and here these people show up into your town, they're going to tell you about Jesus. You've never heard of who Jesus is. So they're telling you about Jesus. Oh, Jesus is amazing. Jesus was God, but actually came down in the form of man. There was this virgin birth, and he died on a cross for your sins, and then three days later he rose again. Now, are you going to believe that? Probably not. Sounds like a story. Well, then one of the apostles says, no, no, you don't get it. I was there. I saw it. I was involved with this ministry for three years. Now, you may start to believe a little bit more, saying, hey, this guy says he was an eyewitness. But now, as these apostles are there and doing things, and there's a 40-year-old man who has never walked from birth, lame from birth, and they say, now, in the name of Jesus, arise and walk, and they see the power in the name of Jesus, that's going to make you start to think. The miracle signs and wonders, no explanation about God. Those miracles confirmed the message of Jesus, and those miracles showed the power of the name of Jesus. That's why the Lord used those, to confirm the message and to show the power of Christ, because these people did not have the collected works of the New Testament to go read these stories. It was brand new to them. So those signs and wonders went before, and it was an amazing thing. Now here's the problem with miracle signs and wonders. Nowadays, we have a tendency to glorify the man and not the Lord with him. We have a tendency to glorify the ministry and not the Lord with him. So remember with signs, wonders, and miracles, they are always there to glorify God and not a man. They're always there to glorify God and not a ministry. People like to bring that attention to themselves. And the Lord says, no, this is for me and me alone, for my glory. See, here's the interesting thing. Satan is the chief counterfeiter. So if Jesus wants to do something that brings glory to the Lord, Satan's going to try to do the same thing. 
Jesus warned us in Mark chapter 13. He said this, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed. See, I've told you all things beforehand. Paul confirms this in 2 Corinthians 11, where he says even Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Paul wrote about end times in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where he says the Antichrist will do signs and wonders. So now, what are you supposed to do? Jesus tells me in Mark 16, they're amazing. Then he tells me in Mark 13, the enemy's going to try to do it too. So now I'm flipping through the stations, and I see something amazing. I hear a story about something amazing. I hear the testimony of a minister. I hear the testimony of a missionary. Lord, is this of you or not? Just ask yourself these simple questions. Who's getting the glory? If they're bringing glory and attention to themselves, be very, very weary of that. Flashing red lights because they're trying to glorify a man and not God. If they're trying to glorify and talk about their ministry, be careful about that. Glorify God, not a ministry. Think about this back in Acts chapter 3. When they healed that man that was lame from birth, they came to Peter. They came to him and held on to him. And Peter said, why do you think it was us? Point him right back to the Lord. Here in a few chapters in Acts, Paul's going to do some miracles. And they're going to come to Paul and claim that he was a god. Paul's going to rip his clothes and say, no way. These guys so bad wanted to deflect the attention off them and give it right back to the Lord. Be careful of anybody who is absorbing that attention and that glory. That is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Deflect it back towards the Lord. Glorify God, not the man. Glorify God and not the ministry. And realize this is one of the ways that the Lord wanted to work. These miracles, signs, and wonders, no explanation about God, show the power of the name of Jesus and also confirm the message of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. So as this is happening, verse 17, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were all filled with indignation, laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. What you see now happening is more persecution. When the church first started, it's like, oh, okay, that's kind of neat. And now as the church keeps growing, the Jewish leadership is starting to have an issue and problems. See, we're introduced now to the Sadducees. If you remember them from studying the Gospels, these were the ones that were in power. They had smaller numbers, but they held the positions of power and leadership. They're the ones that did not believe in the afterlife. They did not believe in miracles. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in none of that. I don't know where I first first heard it, but I remember when I was a young believer. That's how you remember who the Sadducees are. Remember, they're Sadducee because they do not believe in resurrection, miracles, or the afterlife. So these miracles are happening. They don't like it. They're filled with indignation, envy, anger. And now they're put into prison. What are you starting to see now in the church? Persecution. Hasn't changed in thousands of years. Now, we're very blessed. We're able to meet right here, right now, freely and openly. Proclaiming the name of Jesus, worshiping his name. What a blessing that is. If you have to go to work today or tomorrow, you're able to go. And as the Lord opens the door, you're able to share Christ. You're able to read your Bible. You're able to be a publicly open Christian with no threat. That's an amazing privilege that we have. That's not true in every place in the world. It's not true sometimes even here. But for right here, right now, what a blessing we have. So what happens when persecution comes? Because you see this persecution start to build. Now they're arrested. Just a chapter earlier, they were arrested and threatened. Now they're going to be arrested and beaten. And two chapters, Stephen's going to be martyred. A few more chapters later, James is going to be killed. It's going to get violent here real quick. What happens when persecution comes? 
Remember these verses. Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecute the prophets who are before you. Jesus says when you are persecuted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Now at the moment it doesn't feel like that, but you are. You're blessed. I remember years ago, there was a guy going through a lot of persecution. They were saying a lot of evil against him for the name of the Lord. They were saying a lot of false things against him in the name of the Lord. And what happened is he came to me, and I, and I read him these verses. And I said, you are blessed. You are blessed. And I remember him telling me, he goes, I understand the truth of what you're saying, but it doesn't mean I like it. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. We get this. When they want to attack us, we're blessed. When they want to say all kinds of evil against you falsely, we're blessed. Has that ever happened to you at home, at work, what have you? People are saying things about you behind your back. Every time they say something about you behind your back, you're blessed. Just keep it coming. You're blessing me more and more and more. Great is my reward where? In heaven. Not on this earth. Your reward is in heaven for this. Because they persecuted the prophets before. What an amazing concept to think about. That when people want to attack us verbally or even physically, we're blessed because we're taking a stand for the name of Jesus Christ. How are we supposed to handle this when they're doing it? Jesus told us this, same chapter, Matthew chapter 5, now in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies... Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. We're supposed to pray for them. These people do not have an eternal mindset. These people are not thinking about the name of Jesus. They're just attacking, saying all types of false things, blessing us. And our response is to do what? Pray for them. Pray for those that are persecuted. Why does it happen? Lord, why, why, why is this going on? It's kind of interesting in the parable of the sower and the seed. In Matthew 13, it talks about one of the seeds falters very quickly because persecution comes. See, when persecution comes into your life, it reveals how deep your roots are. If you falter really quick when someone gets a little upset or bothered at you and you just kind of falter away, your root system's not very deep. Persecution reveals how strong your roots are. You know, we had a church cleanup day just yesterday. There was a group of youth that went out, pulled weeds at different locations, etc., and some of these weeds that we were pulling at this one location, they were huge. I mean, they were just like spread out for feet. They were very, very impressive, as a weed goes, from the outside perspective. And, and these kids were excited. They, you know, searched through all the stuff, find the root, pull it out. And they would search through the root, find it, pull it out. And the root's about this big. There's nothing to the root. It looks amazing. It looks impressive on the outside. And it has absolutely no root system. See, persecution comes in and says, you look amazing on the outside, but you have no root system. The persecution reveals how deep your roots go. And Jesus even goes one step further in John 15. He goes, persecution's good because if they attack me, they're going to attack you. If they mocked me, they're going to mock you. If they made fun of me, they're going to make fun of you. The servant is not greater than the master. So persecution actually blesses us. Persecution reveals how deep our roots are in the Lord. Persecution teaches us to pray and bless our enemies rather than becoming bitter. And persecution says this is as close as you can get to being like Jesus. Because they're going to attack you just like they attacked him. 
Don't run for persecution. I think so often as believers, when things get difficult, the first thing we do is pray, Lord, stop. The Lord says, no, I'm going to keep this one going for a while. This is good for you. Doesn't mean we like it. Doesn't mean we want it. But we realize that there is some good coming out of it. One other note about persecution. You don't have to go look for it. When you're living a spirit-filled life proclaiming Jesus Christ, persecution will find you. It will truly find you. Same thing happened in the church. When you just proclaim Jesus, it will find you. So what happens now? They come, they're arrested, they're in prison, verse 19. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. When they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those who were with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, and they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. I I just absolutely love that passage. I just absolutely love it. Here you are, just so many different elements going on. First things first, you see this angelic being come, miraculously rescue them. In verse 20, don't skip over verse 20. Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Would you not want to just run? You're going to send me right back to where I was, where I just got arrested. See, what we're starting to see now here in the church, the church will not be bullied and the church will not be intimidated. Romans 8 says that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We have to remember as the body of Christ, we are impacting eternity and what we say and what we do, we will not be silenced, we will not be bullied, we will not be intimidated. So if the Lord calls them to go back into the temple, by golly, verse 20, go back into the temple and do what? Speak life. See, we want to run. And sometimes the Lord does say run. There's times in the book of Acts, he says, get out. But at this instance, the Lord says, ah, yeah, get out, but then go right back. Take a stand for the Lord. The church has to show the leadership at this point. They will not be bullied. They will not be intimidated. What an amazing thing that is. So they go. I mean, just imagine this. They're going, bring out the prisoners so we can bring them into trial. They go into the cell. They're not there. Where are they at? Verse 25. Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. I just absolutely love that. Absolutely love the boldness they have. What did we just finish up last week talking about in Acts chapter 4? The church prayed for what? Boldness. Not for it to be easy. Not for it to be simple. Lord, help us to never have persecution. Lord, help us to have boldness. Boldness to do what? Proclaim the word of God. Keep it simple. This is why you're here. To impact eternity. To give God the glory. That's why you were created. And it says in John 15, God is glorified by when we bear fruit. How can we bear fruit? Let's go represent Jesus in every interaction that we have. Let's not be intimidated. Let's not be bullied. Let's go out there and take a stand in the temple. Proclaiming the words of life. So what happens now? Verse 27, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Do we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. 
The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you were murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. What a great insult. Verse 28, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. I love that. Can you imagine somebody saying that about you behind your back? That you have filled your entire shift at work with the doctrine of Jesus. Everybody on your line knows the doctrine of Jesus. Or imagine in your home, everybody on your block has been filled with the doctrine of Jesus by you talking about him and telling about him. What an amazing insult to tell somebody. And this is what the Lord told them to do. Back in Acts chapter 1, what did he say? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. They're doing what the Lord told them to do. He gave them the Holy Spirit, empowered them with the Holy Spirit, to go out and fill the area with the doctrine of Jesus. Spirit-led, not pushed, not forced, not have to, but taking daily interactions and saying, Lord, I want it to be spiritual. Here I am, use me, Lord. I want to represent you. I, I absolutely love that. And look at Peter's response in verse 29. We ought to obey God rather than men. Listen, we don't have to get into these deep political debates. We don't have to get into these big arguments. We need to understand what verse 29 says. We obey God rather than men. How simple and straightforward is that? We're not going to be bullied. We're not going to be intimidated. There's going to be things happening in this world, things happening with certain governments that do not line up with biblical uh, principles. So what do we do? We obey God rather than men. That's what we do. Peter kept it simple. Peter kept it straightforward. I love it. Now what? Verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious, plotted to kill them. Then one of the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, Take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thudius rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. A lot of wisdom there. This man was actually the teacher of Paul. When Paul gives his testimony in Acts 22, he mentions this man and says, This man was my teacher. Now, he's a Pharisee. He's not a Sadducee. Please note the difference. We already talked about who the Sadducees are. Pharisees were much larger in number. Much larger in number, but they didn't hold the positions of power. They kept to the Old Testament law. They believed in the Torah. They believed in God moving and working. So this man was a Pharisee, and he has great advice here. He says, verse 39, If it's of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. You guys are going to take God on? Let time happen here and see what happens with this. He gives two examples. Thudius rose up claiming to be somebody. He was killed. Verse 37, Judas of Galilee. This is not Judas of, of time with Jesus. He drew many people after him. That all fell apart too. You can't fight God. Now, there's the practical aspect of what he's saying here. If it's something's of the Lord, it's of the Lord. Do you realize the safest place to be is in God's will? When you're in God's will and the Spirit is leading you, what's going to stop you? You're in God's will. It's the most beautiful, perfect place to be. No fears, no worries, no anxieties. You're exactly where the Lord wants you. 
You can't fight against God. Now, take this to a personal level. You can't fight against God. If the Lord has laid something on your heart, and you're constantly telling him no, you're fighting against God. How many times as believers do we know what the Lord has called us to do, we just don't want to do it? I tell you, probably 90 plus percent of the counseling I do, somebody comes in and says, here's my problem, what do you think I should do? And this is how amazing of a counselor I am. My first question back to them is, I don't know, what do you think you should do? And their response is, well, this is what I think you should do. I say, then it sounds biblical. Why don't you go do that? We know what to do. We just don't want to do it. Most of the time, we know exactly what the right thing to do is. We just don't want to. Now, there are times where it's like, what does the scripture say? What and we get into that. But it's just that in my, just I'm talking for me now, in my selfish flesh, I want to be on the throne of my life, not the Lord. It goes back to what we just did in the book of Galatians. Die, deny, and disappear. Dying to who I am, denying who I am, and disappearing into who Jesus is. And saying, Lord, I don't want to run my life anymore. I want you to run my life. Why am I fighting against God? Because that's one I'm going to lose. So this comes up. He says, why are we going to fight them? It's of the Lord. It will, if it's not of the Lord, it will stop. Please note a couple other things here, though. In verse 37 and 38. Excuse me, 36 and 37. First off, Thutius there rose up claiming to be somebody. And verse 37, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. Did you note something similar there? Both those guys wanted glory and attention. What do we talk about at the beginning of the message? Miracles, signs, and wonders point people towards Jesus, not towards us. I am concerned of any man, any ministry, any church, which really seems to be in self-promotion. Let's just promote who Jesus Christ is. And when you promote Jesus Christ, that's what matters most, is just keep pointing people towards Christ. First guy claimed to be somebody. Oh, man, the world is full of people claiming to be somebody. Next one, verse 37, he drew many people after him. There's people that like a following. There's people that love the attaboys, the pats on the back. Oh, you're great. You're wonderful. You're just the best servant. And we thrive off that attention and that glory. And we say things like this, oh, just doing it for Jesus. But really, we love it. See, I, I keep going back to John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. John the Baptist said, my job is to point people towards Christ, not to bring a ministry to myself. John the Baptist actually told his followers, quit following me and go follow Jesus. Think about how amazing John the Baptist was. Jesus said this. John the Baptist was the greatest man born of a woman. Put that on your resume. That's a pretty impressive statement. God himself is saying that John the Baptist was the greatest man born of a woman. Why was John so great? Because he constantly pointed people towards Messiah. That's all that John did. We can learn from that. I don't need a following. I don't need attaboys. Thanks are nice, and I believe we should be a thankful body of Christ, thankful for what people do. There's nothing wrong in saying that, but that should not drive us. That should not push us. What drives us and pushes us is people are dying and going to hell, and I want to represent Jesus Christ to them. That's all that matters. Remember back in Matthew chapter 5, our reward is where? In heaven. Some of you are serving God in unbelievable situations and no one sees it and no one notices it. But guess what? You're faithful. 
you're faithful, and you're doing it for the glory of the Lord. And that's all that matters. Your reward is in heaven. And thank you for the willingness that you're willing to do when it comes to that serving. These people that wanted the attention and the glory, they fall away. But what stands forever is Christ. So verse 40, they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Verse 40, they were beaten. They were threatened. But the church would not be bullied. The church would not be intimidated. And what did they do when they left in verse 41? Well, they weren't bitter. They weren't scared. They weren't angry. They weren't sad. They rejoiced. They rejoiced. See, th- here's the thing about persecutions and trials and tribulations. We want them to get over as soon as possible. And I go back to what we said earlier in the message. The Lord says, no, I- I'm going to actually use this. To take you deeper in me. I'm going to use this for the glory of the Lord. Remember the Bible says we're actually supposed to glory in tribulation. So Lord, if this difficult trial, tribulation, or persecution brings you glory, points people towards Jesus, then Lord, thank you. Now that's not easy to say or pray. But if you look at verse 41, they rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I remember hearing the testimony one time of a um, missionary I can't remember exactly where he was serving. It was either Africa or for some reason I have in my mind Papua New Guinea. But he was going to one of the uh, unreached tribes. And as he was talking to them, they did not like what he was saying. And they beat him. And I remember him sharing his testimony, talking about how as he felt the blood coming down off his forehead and covering his eyes, the only thing he could do was smile and say, I was counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. That's a mindset that we don't think about too much. Lord, make it quit, make it stop, and and hurry it along. The Lord says, no, this is actually doing more good behind the scenes than what you could ever imagine. And if you're here today and you're going through a trial or tribulation, I don't know if it's emotional, I don't know if it's spiritual, I don't know if it's physical, I ask you this, can you stop and say, Lord, I want you to get the glory in this? Because that's really all that matters, is I want to impact eternity in every situation I have. And look what they do in verse 42. Right back to the temple. Right back to the house. They did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Verse 42. Daily in the temple. Why do they keep going back to the temple? Because there were people there at the temple that wanted to know more about God. Now granted, they wanted to know more about their God. They wanted to go deeper in their God. But there were people that were spiritually interested. And they could go represent Jesus Christ to them. And look at in the house. This is something that's very foreign to our American society. We build literal fences between neighbors, and we build fences emotionally between each other as well, too. And what you see in the book of Acts is these fences coming down and saying, wait a second, we're one accord in the body of Christ. We're going to be praying for each other, encouraging each other, uplifting each other. Like I said earlier in announcements, you may not go on the motorcycle run today at 1, but could you pray for them? You may not go Saturday, but could you pray for them? I encourage you to look through the bulletin. Ladies' Bible studies on Fridays, young adults on Thursdays, ladies' Bible studies on Mondays. Pray for them, because we're the body of Christ. You want those teachers to be spirit-led, because they may be impacting people that are going to hopefully impact you. We're the body of Christ. And we sometimes need to let go of our fences between each other, because I see a daily in the temple, a daily in the house. I see back in Acts chapter 2, this breaking of bread, this communion, this accountability, this fellowship, this Bible study. I tell you, some of the best fruit that Dawn and I see for us as a couple is when we're just with other couples 
and really just stopping and saying, let's really get serious about our relationship with Christ. What does that look like? Sunday mornings are wonderful. I love Sunday mornings. But this is a time to equip, to encourage. I call it like a staff meeting. We're getting together. Here's the battle plan for the week. Let's give you the tools, and let's go out and tell people about Jesus. But when you get together on that smaller setting, you can really start to grow as a body of Christ with that. You know, that's part of the reason why we started up the small groups. And I encourage you to prayerfully consider those in October. Consider some of the discipleship classes coming up. But you just don't see a relationship with the church and with Jesus on a Sunday morning. You see it being a daily thing, a daily interaction, that accountability, that encouragement. What I want to finish with is this, though. Can you go with me to 1 Peter chapter 4? That's what I want to finish with. Like I said, it's going to get rougher for the church. In just two chapters, Stephen's going to be killed. A few chapters after that, James is going to be beheaded. And you're going to see a lot of difficult persecution coming. A lot of trials and tribulations coming for the church. Let's remind ourselves what Peter said about this. First Peter chapter 4. Let's start in verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Guys, it's not strange. <laughs> we're, we're shocked that we're persecuted. We're shocked that we have a bad day. We're, we're mesmerized that there's a health issue, an emotional struggle. Peter's telling us here in verse 12, 2,000 years ago, why do you think this is strange? You got saved, born again. You declared war on the enemy. I know we like to sing the song, this is my father's world, but that's not biblically true. This is not your father's world. Satan is the God of this world right now until Jesus returns. We have a sinful body that falls apart. Our flesh is falling apart. So we will suffer spiritually, emotionally, physically. There will be persecutions and trials. And Peter is saying in verse 12, why do you think it's strange? Don't you? So that's the first point. Let go of this that you have been protected in some bubble and that we're above all problems. No. The Lord uses these things. What are we supposed to do then when these trials happen? Verse 13, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad to exceeding joy. I'm supposed to rejoice. I'm supposed to glory in tribulations. I'm supposed to stop and say, Lord, if this situation can bring you glory, then amen. Lord, if this situation can help me go deeper than you, than you amen. Now, please understand, I'm supposed to have joy in all things. That does not mean I enjoy all things. There's a big difference there. I have joy in all things, but I do not enjoy all things. So, Lord, I have joy that you are working in this. I have joy that you're being glorified. But just like Jesus before the cross, I'm in anguish. And just like Jesus before the cross, Lord, take this cup from me. But if not my will, but your will be done. Verse 14, if you're reproached, depending on your translations there, if you're insulted, if you're reviled for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Look at this theme. You're attacked, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blaspheming, but on your part he is glorified. So when, when, when people attack me, they're blessing me. Like I told you the story earlier, I get the truth of that. It doesn't mean I like it. There are times, though, where I see trials and tribulations and persecutions happening. I'm realizing, wow, Lord, hopefully this means I'm doing something for you. Amen. 
Because if we're not being persecuted or attacked, obviously we're not that much of a threat. Verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in this manner. Verse 15, Don't suffer for other reasons. Suffer for Christ. I know a lot of believers that believe they're being persecuted and suffering for the name of Jesus, and really they're just a busybody. Really, they're just kind of a difficult person to be around. What Peter is saying here is, listen, don't go out there and look for it. Don't go out there and try to get persecuted and suffer. When you're living a born-again life in Christ, it will happen. Verse 16, do not be ashamed. Glorify God in this matter. Now, guys, we know this. It's putting it into practice. I want to encourage you this week to take a look at what we just read in Acts and ask yourself, just like the early church, am I going to be intimidated? Am I going to be bullied? Am I going to obey God rather than man? Am I going to be willing to go back into the temple and represent Jesus even when it gets difficult? Am I going to realize the only thing that matters is the glory of God and representing Christ for all of eternity? Am I going to realize that trials, tribulations, persecutions are actually good? They bless me. They grow me. It reveals my root system. It makes me more like Jesus. It has me praying for my enemies and those that I hate. And I'm going to realize that there's good coming out of this. Or am I just going to go live life? See, don't live life. Go live eternal life in front of people. Let them see the difference. Let us go represent the Lord in all that we say and all that we do and stop and say, okay, Lord, I can't let go of those two verses in my mind. Filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and daily. This is a daily thing. Let's pray this into our lives. Lord, as we just come to you now, worship team, from come forward. Lord, as we come to you now, I, I pray that we could live this, not just talk about this, but to daily go out and live it in all that we say and all that we do in the name of Jesus. Lord, for those that are hurting here today, be it spiritual, emotional, or physical, you are showing them they're blessed. You are showing them you're the foundation of their life. Lord, we trust that you're moving and working in ways that we've never seen, and to you be the glory for that. But help us to go out and live it, and all we say and all we do in your name. Amen. What I want to do is this.